You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Younglin Kong. He's at the University of Utah College of Engineering, and we're going to be talking about uh, his work there. So, Young, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank, thank you so much for having me here, Rich. Um, I'm really excited with this invitation. Yeah, I know it's not all you're doing, but I saw an, uh, an article uh, from MIT News that you're working on 3D printing of adjustable wireless biomedical electronics you know, an adjustable capsule that can be controlled wirelessly. But um, in addition to that, is there other work that you're doing? And, you know, we'll kind of talk about uh, that and maybe other stuff. Uh, yes. Um, so the 3D printed adjustable electronics is part, one of the example of uh, uh, potential applications of the technology we are developing. Um, I'm currently, I'm an assistant professor at the mechanical engineering department in the University of Utah. And my, my research focuses on the development of novel additive manufacturing technologies to create unique functional interwoven architectures and devices that cannot be created with conventional fabrication methods. Uh, the the multi-scale, multi-material 3D printing approach, we, we believe, can overcome the geometrical, mechanical, and material dichotomies between conventional manufacturing technologies and a broad range of three-dimensional systems. And ultimately, our goal is to address unmet clinical needs uh, with the ability to create tailorable, three-dimensional, free-form, um, hybrid uh, biomedical devices with this technology. And the ingestible electronics is one of the example of um, of what we can create uh, by developing the 3D printing technology. As you're talking about it, there's two things. There's 3D printing versus manufacturing something to be swallowed. So right now we manufacture pills all the time, you know, since they're not really 3D printed. So I guess you can 3D print a pill or you can 3D print or manufacture something else that could be swallowed that would do different things in the body. So maybe let's start with 3D printing versus non-3D printing. You know, what kinds of uh, ingestibles have you conceived or are looking at? And then we'll go to the functionality part of it. I see. So just, so just to clarify your question, your question was on what is the difference between using a 3D printing to create a pill versus using conventional manufacturing technology. Is that right? Right. And then after that is, uh, you know, what else can you, because of 3D printing, 
what can you create that can be ingested that uh, we can't create right now? But, you know, maybe first thing is 3D printing pills versus uh, just manufacturing pills. Are there, is there any benefit there? Yes. Um, so because uh, our body is very different between individuals and individuals. Um, so uh, personalizations of biomedical devices is something of significant interest. Um, for example, in terms of uh, ingestible pills, um, in this case, what we demonstrated is the ability to prolong the gastric residence of the device in the stomach, which conventionally is extremely challenging with um, the manufacturing processes that we have. Um, this is challenging because uh, our stomach is an inherently um, hostile environment. Uh, so we have to design um, a device that has various uh, integrated functionalities, but at the same time can um, sustain and um, inside the the gas, hostile gastric environment uh, have the robustness that is needed um, at the same time is in the form factor that can be ingested. So conventional manufacturing okay. technology is challenging to achieve that because, uh, for example, electronics is uh, a typically rigid and planar processes. Um, in this case, uh, it is challenging to integrate it directly with um, without a, a three-dimensional fabrications approach. So what are some of the differences in people that make it make some pills not work and some pills work? You know, is it that in some people, they have very quick gastric emptying, emptying and the pill just doesn't stay long enough? Or is it in some people, the gastric emptying is too slow and the pill sits there for too long and it gives them too much medication? I mean, what are the differences that, that cause challenges in swallowing pills? Yes, I think both are really good points. Um, one is the gastric residence periods um, that could vary between people, um, but at the same time, um, it is also something that could vary uh, depending on the application that we want to administer um, uh, the, the applications of the ingestible uh, electronics. Um, second thing is the dosage of the drugs. Um, uh, that that is something again, the different target applications and uh, drugs that target different diseases have uh, significantly uh, different dosage and require significantly different um, uh, design of the device. So what are some design changes uh, that would accommodate different dosages or on-demand dosing, let's say? So, so the design changes, um, that there are two design changes that need to be tailored. First is for the purpose of gastric residence. Um, for the purpose of gastric residence, uh, the way we uh, achieve the gastric residence is by using multi-material 3D printing to create a hybrid structures that contains the flexible and the, the biocompatible uh, rigid components. Um, and the way it, the device stay in the stomach uh, is uh, through uh, basically a transformable architecture that can be folded into a shape of a capsule. And upon ingestion in the stomach, um, the capsule will dissolve, uh, allows the, which allows the device to expand into a dimension that is larger than the exit of the stomach, which is the pylorus. So, so, so the ability to stay in the stomach depends on the robustness of this architecture. Um, and hence, by changing this uh, gastric residence architecture, uh, for example, using 3D printer by modulating um, the, 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 the composite design, um, we, we basically will be tailoring and tuning um, the gastric residence period of that uh, structures in the stomach. So those, um, this is uh, for um, the gastric residence aspect. The other aspect is for the dosage. Um, that depends on, for example, the drug reservoir that we can integrate 
in the ingestible device, um, and also the control re release formulations that can be custom um, custom formulated uh, to adjust the release of drugs in the system. Well, it sounds somewhat problematic if you have a um, <clears throat> you know a device that can unfold once it's in the stomach, unless that could be controlled from the outside and probably with the assist of a camera. You know, what if it unfolds and um, the person is not reacting well to the drug and you need to fold it back up and get it out of there? You know, how do you do that? So it seems like you need control to do that, you know, wirelessly. <clears throat> and then uh, I didn't even know if you could integrate a camera, but what if um, the way it unfolds because of the morphology of the stomach um, is a problem? Or if it unfolds in the wrong spot, you know, maybe someone has uh, some acid reflux and the pill senses that. You know, before it reaches the stomach and unfolds in the sphincter and causes the person a problem? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Rich. In fact, that is uh, one of the, our, our current focus um, is to design a um, triggerable release system, which can be achieved with different uh, approach. Uh, for example, we can design an electroactive uh, adhesive um, so that in, in the event that we need to re release the device from the stomach, we can wirelessly communicate to release the structures. Um, so what we have shown in this um, published work is the ability to stay inside the stomach um, and um, through passive disintegrations, uh, it could ultimately broke, break down into smaller pieces and pass from the stomach. But as you, as you say, uh, some, uh, an approach that can actively trigger the disintegrations of the device could be important in terms of safety um, in, in some applications. So for example, um, there is a drug allergy. Um, so our, our fo focus now is to de design a triggerable release system, which we have also shown some preliminary results um, by using electroactive adhesive, uh, which ultimately could overcome this safety um, concern. Yeah, I mean, once a, a particular <clears throat> pill delivers its payload, you'd want it to dissolve and go away and be passed through the system. Um, you know, you don't want it sitting there because how could you take more than one? The, the material could build up and build up. It cause all kinds of obstruction and problems. Yes. Um, so, so there's interest. Uh, several interesting um, things I learned um, throughout this project is stomach is a, a, a large organ that can tolerate a lot of foreign objects and materials. Uh, um, in, in fact, it is one of the few organs that has been um, evolved to tolerate foreign uh, materials, such as the food, uh, the, the breakfast I had just now. Uh, so, so it it. Um, it is immune, relatively immune privilege. So the, the deposition of um, objects in the stomach is uh, relatively harmless in comparison to, say, the implantations of device in other organs. But as you said, we also do, do not want uh, uh, con uh, uh, situations where you have too many foreign objects staying in the stomach for a long period of time. In fact, there, there are some medical conditions where uh, the patients keep uh, eating hairs, uh, and that causes accumulations of hairs inside the stomach. So, having the ability to ensure first ensure the disintegrations of the device from the stomach. Um, in this case, we show two passive disintegrations is important, um, and we have shown that over uh, a maximum of 30 days period, the device will um, naturally pass from the stomach to outside the body. Uh, but as 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 discussed, uh, what we are focusing now is to develop an active triggering system where we can remove on demand the, the structures from the stomach. How would you remove it on demand? What's an example of that? 
So this is one of the uh, future works. Um, in, in this case, we synthesize uh, conductive uh, polymers uh, that can that that has a strong adhesion property, and these polymers can be used to bind the structures um, that basically uh, impart the gastric residence um, property. Uh, through electrical triggering, we can then um, causes, for example, Joe heating that um, causes the material to lose its adhesive property, allowing the uh, basically disintegrations of the device uh, of the structures, uh, which then remove the gastric residence property. Um, so this is one potential applications, uh, potential uh, strategies. Um, the other strategies is, for example, using shape memory polymers um, and other um, transformable architectures um, that allows transitions. Uh, the transformations between um, in, uh, ingestible dosage form and a gastric residence um, dosage uh, format. Okay, very interesting. So, how far are you in the development? What's uh, what has been accomplished, and you know, how long until this is uh, testable in in animals or in people? So, in in terms of ingestible electronics, um, one what we have shown in this is the ability to stay in the stomach. Um, one of the focus now is to look into how to uh, trigger the disintegrations. And the other focus is to how to control such a system using external um, fuel, uh, such as magnetic fuel. Uh, in fact, we recently just uh, received a $2 million funding from NSF um, to develop uh, a 3D printing approach that can integrate uh, multiple different uh, functional um, materials uh, into the 3D printing process. For example, integrating magnetic um, functionalities, which in the future we hope can use a magnetic field uh, to uh, control uh, the the to control the motions of the ingested device for various different uh, applications. So we are at the proof of concept stage in in this uh, approach, where we develop different manufacturing um, approach and technology. Well, very good. What's um is this going to affect other uh implants in the body or is it plenty to just focus on the digestive ones? So so broadly, um, we are developing different uh, biomedical devices. Uh, this is just one of the examples where we can impart electronic functionalities into an ingestible uh, gastric uh, resident system. Um, we are looking into, for example, using uh, the 3D printable electronics approach to integrate uh, electronic functionalities into various uh, prosthetics, uh, uh, regeneration implant, which could have the same impact um, uh, of that, which could impart functionality, which otherwise um, remains inachievable uh, with current uh, manufacturing technology. Would it be possible for, um, you know, an ingested pill to go through the bladder part of it and part of it go through the colon? Could you split up the functionality so that it goes one way or another, or both ways? Um, so, for yes, so we can uh, for for colon, yes, I think for bladder that would be uh, uh, because it's in a different organ, so uh, it's not in the GI tract. So, but 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 for org, for for other parts of the GI tract, such as the colon or uh, intestine, that's something that we can customize the the gastric residence architecture. So that it stays at that locations rather at those locations rather than in the stomach. Um, so there are, there are several pros and cons in different locations. For example, in the stomach, it is relatively immune privileged, so it can handle 
the device um, residence for an extended period of time. But in intestine, uh, on, uh, in contrast, uh, it could allow um, a more rapid delivery of drugs directly into a system, into the body. So uh, that, that's a great question where different locations of the body uh, could have different potential applications. And we certainly could use uh, 3D printing to design customized um, gastric residence structures, uh, residence structures um, to stay at the different locations. Yeah, you could have part of the payload stop in the stomach and the rest of it stop in the intestine or the colon, et cetera. So you could do uh, multiple different destinations, I guess. Yes, uh, and, and uh, it's, it's a good point because uh, those different application uh, destinations will have different potential um, applications um, that can address um, different uh, clinical needs. It'd be like a medical cruise ship. The first stop is the stomach and the second stop is the intestine and the third stop is the colon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that would be really cool. Yes. Uh, uh, the the thing I want to point out is that uh, this uh, involves different uh, engineering um, of, for example, materials that is compatible with different environment. But with um, with this uh, material engineering, we can achieve such uh, gastric residence or um, residence at different uh, components, uh, different part of the body. How do you um? How do you ensure that something will be deployed in the stomach versus the intestine or the colon? Yeah, that's a great question. So in fact, this is one of the safety concerns with this technology. Uh, but we can achieve this by uh, basically uh, if, uh, ensuring that the, the by timing the capsule so that it dissolves within a certain time period um, that and, and ensure that the, 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 the expansions of the device happen quickly upon exposure to gastric fluid. Um, so uh, that's the first pre preliminary uh, prerequisite of achieving um, this work, uh, which we have shown in the early part of the paper, where the structures will rapidly expand in the stomach. Well, I would think the chemical nature of the stomach environment versus the intestine versus the colon is hopefully or probably very different, which will make it easier. Yes. Uh, and that is a really good point because uh, one of the future work is to integrate enteric polymer, uh, which is a polymer that would dissolve uh, in one of the environment so that in the event that uh, the structures um, get passed to the intestine, um, that the polymer will disintegrate uh, because of the difference in the pH in the environment. Well, beyond pH, are there other, I'm sure there's other chemical elements that you can identify that are unique to the intestine or the stomach, right? Yes, yes. Uh, prim primarily, the pH is significantly different, uh, but there there are differences in terms of uh, huge differences in terms of chemical environment. Okay, and then the um, the transmission, the wireless transmission. You know, if it's inside the stomach, is there much barrier to a signal getting out or getting in, or is it uh, the body pretty, you know, conductive where nothing, you know, the signals can get out or get in? So yes, that that is one of the the focus of the the, the research as well because uh, for certain for low frequency um, the body can, basically the uh, signals can uh, get past get past the body pretty easily, but um, for at higher frequency the signals get attenuated. Um, and what we have shown is the the ability to transmit Bluetooth signals, which is at 2.4 gigahertz. Um, um, and the reason why we want to achieve that is because this allows us to um, directly communicate with um, smart devices such as smartphones uh, and tablets. Uh, and at the same time, the attenuation is 
uh, something attractive in this perspective because uh, if we have uh, say ingested uh, ingestible gastric resident electronics in our body, we certainly do not want anyone in the same room or outside uh, our neighbors to be able to pull up the smartphone and connect to our device. Um, so what we have done um, is to tune the transmission range so that it is within the arm's length of um, of the of the person. Um, so in other words, uh, we have a physical isolation um, from the transmissions of the device um, so that it is isolated to that person. Oh, because you're worried about what uh, people being, I mean, someone trying to assassinate somebody or to, to mess with their, their medication and hurt them? Uh, that That is one potential security concern. Uh, as I think this is uh, something that could uh, potentially be an important um, topic um, that uh, that we need to address in the future if this is translated in the clinical setting. But uh, having a, a transmission that self-limits within um, uh, the within to the 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 patient or the the user uh, provides an additional uh, security uh, in comparison to having transmit the the signals to the entire room or uh, to a wide uh, area. I guess you'd have to do things like what bank does is, a, you know, banks do the password would have to change maybe every time you want to access it, you know, like every minute the password would change. They have that with some bank accounts and, uh, you know, if the pill only stays resident in a max of 30 days, that would help as well. But, um, you know, proximity is one thing, but if someone hacked someone's smartphone and they had it on them, they could access the uh, the pill if it wasn't protected properly, you know? Yes, I I agree. I mean, the, so having a limitations in the range so so uh, allows us to focus the security development on the smartphone. Otherwise, there's two different methods this can be hacked. Um, in other words, uh, if the range is too big, then anyone with a Bluetooth uh, device could potentially um, try to bypass the security to uh, control the device. So um, having a limited range um, allows us to focus our security enhancements on the smartphone. Or devices that is connected to the device. Or to be safe, uh, the device can always um, remain disconnected with the smartphone unless it is um, needed. Um, so that is another way to uh, increase uh, the security of the device. Sure. Okay. Well, very good. So what's what's uh, what's your goal for the next year or a couple of years? What do you have on your roadmap? What do you want to accomplish? Yeah. So so one of the thing is uh, focusing on improving the ability to control, for example, the, the motions of um, the, the locations and the, the operations of the device when it is inside the stomach. Um, as, as, as mentioned earlier, this is funded through NSF where we will impart magnetic components um, to use, to allow us to use magnetic fields to, to control the locations of the device. So this is something that we are working on currently. Um, so in other words, it's no longer a passive ingested pill, but more like a soft robot that can hopefully transverse inside the human body for different applications. And what's the best way for people to get in touch and ask more questions? Oh, um, so um, they could reach out, reach me to my email, uh, yong.kong at utah.edu, or um, they could also visit the, the website of the group. Um, and um, I'm... I'm very uh, excited with potential collaborations for anyone who is listening uh, and uh, to to extend uh, these applications to different uh, 
to address different unmet clinical needs. And I look forward to work with uh, everyone uh, who is interested to do uh, 3D printing research in the high, highly 3D dimensional environment at the University of Utah. Well, very good, Young. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. No, thank, thank you so much for your time, Rich. Uh, I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.